Well, good morning. It's great to see you. We've, uh, it's good for me to be back. I, I was gone on vacation last week, and, and uh, uh, last Sunday morning, Becky needed to help with children's over in Paulding at our Paulding campus, so I went with her over there, and I always enjoy going over there. I uh, appreciate our, the volunteers from, from here in Fremont who head over there every week, and uh, just uh, thank you for doing that if you're part of that, and appreciate the faithfulness of the people that are there and part of our church family there, and, and uh, God's blessing there, and we appreciate all that's going on there. God's doing a lot of things for our church, and we want to be praying uh, today, obviously, again, for what's going on at Kalahari as they close out this morning. Um, and I know there's, you know, over the 2,000 kids there, 240 or 50 or something like that from our own church there. And so we're thankful for that and asking that God would do a work in their hearts and lives uh, today. Heard this week, too, from one of our missionaries, Greg Lyons. You, you may remember Greg as he's been here, spoken a couple of times. And he's always got these amazing things going on. And uh, they've got their camps going on. They do like 16 weeks of camp. And every week they bus all these kids, like a 1,000 kids up from, from Manila, up uh, several hours to their, to their camp. And it's just some incredible stuff going on. All these kids who, who, who don't know Jesus and and they get to hear the gospel, and they, and they respond. In fact, Greg sent a couple of pictures with an email. And the first one here is that's right at the end of a message where all these kids are at in this building. And then the next one is at, that's just before the invitation. That's after the invitation. That's all those kids responded to the invitation that day. That's cool. Um, what happens is, too, is they take these kids, you know, it's... 950 or so kids, they take them next door, have been there and, and watch them do this. They take them next door and they, they sit down with them, they talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. Can you imagine that? And they, they set them up with some discipleship and, and, and possibly baptism and everything else. They, they do a great job of that. So thankful for what God's doing uh, through our church family and, and uh, in different areas of the world. We've been talking about uh, what God reveals about himself. We've talked about the God that is and that he exists in Trinity. We talked about the God that creates and the God that speaks. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about, and we're continuing today talking about the truth that God transforms. The good news that God takes us and makes us new. And that is good news, right? Because we all needed it. And he made us new, changed our lives I want you to listen to the words of Ephesians 2. This is the experience of every person who's become a believer. You know, we just sing blessed assurance and said, this is my story. Well, this is our story. This is what's happened to every believer. He starts off by talking about what we were spiritually before following Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. May not have felt like it, may not have thought we were, but we were spiritually, we didn't realize it, but we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we were in really bad shape. Again, we may not have known that, but we were. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's some, some transformation, isn't it? I mean, God took us. He took us from, we went from death to life. We went from having nothing spiritually to having everything. We went from being nowhere spiritually to being seated with him in heavenly places. I mean, think about that for a second. Seated with him in heavenly places, the, the privilege and the honor of knowing that we are seated with Christ spiritually with him. I mean, only our God can do that. Only our God can take someone who's spiritually dead, make them alive, and raise them to such a place of privilege and honor. That's transformation. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5.17? Maybe a verse you, you probably know. It's a verse that talks more broadly about that transformation when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The point of that verse is very simply, God transforms us. We've gone from the old to the new. So typically, a lot of times when we tie that transformation, we might tie that transformation into talking about what's known as the doctrine of justification. It's great truth. And basically, it's just saying before coming to Jesus, we were condemned, guilty before God. All of us were. When we came to him, though, we were completely, forever credited with the righteousness of Jesus. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve it. But he gave it to us. And he, when he credited us with righteousness and declared that, that's justification. And the fact that he has done that for us. If that truth grabs us, it impacts every area of our life. It, that's what brings us joy as Christians because we know our sin's taken care of. It's all forgiven. I mean, talk about something that changes your outlook on life, knowing that you're right with God, the God of heaven, the God of the universe. You're right with him now and for all eternity. It brings joy. It brings security because we don't have to worry about if God will ever view us differently. We don't have to wonder because his view of us isn't based on us or how we're doing. It's, it's based on the righteousness of Jesus. And that satisfies his every command. We're going to fail. We know we will. But he never has and never will. So we're secure and we have peace and confidence because of that. Because we've been transformed. Because God has made it that way. All of it, God simply declared that for us. He said it and it happened. He said it and in that moment we went from death to life spiritually. It's amazing. And that's one reason, by the way, why we can't lose our salvation. Because once we are really his and we are credited with the righteousness of Jesus, that covers everything. But God didn't just transform us in a declarative sense. All of that is true, but there's something more. He didn't do it in just in that sense where it has nothing to do with the way we live our lives. He also transformed us to change how we live right now. See, that transformation that he brings to us is, is very practical. It's, it's visible. We should see it. 
it should look different to people. And here's what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we, we get to talking and we make the point often that we know we still sin and about how we're sort of still a mess. And we get that, we point that out a lot. You know, because I think we do that a lot because we don't want people thinking that we're, and getting the wrong idea that we think we're better than somebody. We know we're not. And we've all seen the bumper sticker, you know, because, we, again, we're very sensitive to this. So we've all seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. All that's really true. And I'm not challenging any of that one bit. We are messed up. You know, we aren't perfect. No real Christian would ever claim to be. But there's a balancing truth to that. You can, and you can see that balance in the, in the Apostle Paul's life. You remember when he was describing himself in, in, in 1 Timothy 1, in verse 15, he, and, and that's where he sort of did the I'm messed up thing, where he said, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. The apostle Paul, the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul calls himself the foremost sinner. Now, I don't know if you remember the old King James, but there they translated that, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I mean, Paul's like, I'm the head, as far as sinners go, I'm the head of the class. I'm the lead dog. But the same guy wrote to the church of Corinth, and, and, the, and this messed up guy said this to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he said, Therefore I exhort you, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, be imitators of me. <laughs> what? Well, about 1 Corinthians 11, he said it again. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Paul's like to the church of Corinth, church of Corinth look at me. Follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Think like I think. Go where I go. Watch what I watch. Read what I read. And by doing all that, you'll be more like Jesus. Now, how can a guy say both of those things? How can a guy say on one hand, I'm chief of sinners. And on the other hand, imitate me. Well, it's about balancing truth. Because if we stress the one without stressing the other, we get out of balance. If we say, hey, for instance, imitate me, be like me, and we don't balance that with the realization of the depth of our sin and just how bad our sin really is, and we're, we're just full of ourselves. We're self-righteous hypocrites. The Bible would call us liars. Because none of us have it fully together. But on the other hand, if we're always saying and always stressing, you know, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm just a worm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm no good. Pretty soon, what we'll begin to do is we'll begin to excuse our sin. This is just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. I've, I've tried. Nothing changes. It's just the way it is. Well, when we do that, we are in danger of denying the truth of the power of God to transform us. 
sometimes you hear Christians tell other people, hey, don't follow, don't follow people, follow Jesus. And, and, I, and we know there's some truth to that, but here's the deal. People should be able to follow us, all of us, if you're a follower of Christ. They should be able to. Where we go, what we do, our attitudes, our words, and when they follow us and follow our example, it should make them more like Jesus. Again, we know we all mess up. We still all sin. That's not a question. But the direction of our life, the preponderance of the evidence should be such that people are challenged to be more like Christ when they follow us. And we're not talking about life for some super Christian, you know, that exclusive type of category. No, this is the way it should be for all of us. And it's not an option for us. That type of life is, in fact, commanded of us in Scripture with some really, when you think about it, mind-blowing commands. Let me give you a few. First of all, 1 Peter 1, 16. Peter says, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be holy. Be holy. And who's he quoting there? Who's Peter quoting? He's quoting God, right? God says, be holy for I'm holy. So be holy. So what do we do with that? Be holy. Is that command just too far out there? Is it unattainable? You know, so we read it and we think, uh, that sounds really nice, but man, it's not realistic. We can't possibly live it out. You know, maybe someday when I get to heaven, that'd be great. But no, it's a real command for us with real expectations for our lives. Huge expectations for our lives. Be holy. And if you look at the context around that verse, you realize it's talking about all our behavior, how we're living life. You know, we, we know it doesn't say, be holier than thou. You know, this isn't some pride thing. That would zero out the holiness. But it does tell us to be holy. Be holy. That's going to that's take some evaluation on our part, isn't it? It's going to take us sitting back, looking at our life, and saying, okay, what's here pleasing to God and what's not? What am I willing to change? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to take on if I'm going to be holy? And if you're thinking, well, yeah, I'll live a holy life. It's, you know, some kind of dry, boring, rigid way of living. You know, I go sit somewhere in a corner and all I do is, you know, pray and think and, you know, starve myself. And, you know, do, you know if I do a bunch of stuff like that, that's... You're missing the point. You're missing the real picture. Holy, being holy just means you're living in a way that's pleasing to God. And that can, can be and should be a joyful and exciting and a challenging way to live. Be holy. There's other commands like Ephesians 5.1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. That word imitate, imitators is, is, uh, is in the Greek, it's been metai. It's a... It's a word we get our English word mimic from. Mimic. Hey, uh, Paul says, mimic God. Mimic God. Who, who are you patterning your life after? Who, who do you want to be like? 
Bible tells us, be like God. <laughs> Pattern your life after him. Or how about Ephesians 4.1? Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We've got to ask ourselves, is my life a true reflection of the high calling that I've been called to? Am I walking worthy of the gospel that I was given to me and it changed my life? Am I walking worthy? That word worthy just has, it has the idea of weight. And so it's like a set of scales and on one side is the gospel with all its grandeur and its wonder and its power and its amazing, the holiness of it. And on the other side is our, my life. And, and it, it's supposed to in some way weigh out. Are we live, walking in a way that's worthy? See, God intended that our lives would be transformed. We sh so we should be able to say to anyone around us, imitate me. And we should be able to do that without it being some arrogant thing or becoming arrogant because we know the truth. The, the truth that we're all still sinners. And we know the truth of Galatians 2.20 as well. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It, see, that's Paul, just Paul saying, if there's anything good in me, if there's anything worth imitating in me, it's not me producing it. It's him. And the more we yield to him, the more transformed our lives will be and the more imitation worthy they become. And the good news is we can do this. We can live a life that's transformed. We can live a life that is worthy. We can live a life that is holy. We can do this because God made it possible for us. In fact, he's done several things to make it possible. So let me give you some of the reasons you and I can live a holy, transformed life. Here's some of the reasons you can say no to sin and yes to obedience. Here are some things that God has done for us in order for us to be able to get this done. Okay, first of all, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he's the absolutely best resource for us in living a life of, of holiness. In fact, he's absolutely necessary. Remember Jesus saying in John 16 that it was to our advantage that, he, that Jesus would go away and, and that he'd send the Holy Spirit instead that, that was better for us than having Jesus here that he'd send the Holy Spirit. And why is that? Well, part of that is because the Holy Spirit would, be, would come to live in us. So there's never a time or place, once we've trusted Christ, at that moment, there's never a time or place that we go that he is not present with us. He's always there. And he provides power for us to live obediently. That's where we get the power to live a transformed life. He's our power source. It's not something we work up. It's something that he provides. His power, his power leads us and convicts us and teaches us to live a transformed life. 
And when he indwells us, which he does for every believer from the moment of salvation, when he indwells us, he begins the work of producing his fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things we don't produce. They're the product of the Spirit's presence in our lives. So God, in wanting us to live holy lives, transform lives, gave us the Holy Spirit. So great news for us, we've got the power and the generating force for change in our lives. It's already there. He also gave us his word. We won't spend a whole lot of time here. Kevin covered this last week, but 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. Well, the scripture is all those things, and it's for this purpose that the man of God may be adequate. Guess what? You're adequate. And, and, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea. That word adequate, it's not like, you know, sometimes you hear that word, well, it's like just, oh, it's somebody who's just, you know, you're, the person's adequate. They just sort of get by, barely make it. They're adequate. That's not the idea behind this word. The word adequate here is this person's got everything they need. And we're equipped for every, how many good works? A few, some, many. No, equipped for every good work. God's word gives us the equipment we need to be obedient. And then God also gave us freedom. One of my favorite passages is Romans 6. It's a, a great chapter. It says this in verse 4, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. No longer slaves to sin, freed from sin. And then it goes on, verse 13, it says this, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be a master, not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Great news for us. We are free. God gave us freedom. We aren't chained to sin. That wasn't the case before we came to him. Again, we may not have realized it. At some point we did. That's what drove us to come to him. But we may not have realized that we just thought we were living life. Didn't know that, in fact, we were slaves to sin, that it was our master. But it was. But when we came to Christ, that's no longer the case. Sin's no longer our master. We can tell sin no. We have the freedom to do that. He set us free because he released us from its chains. God wants us to live a transformed life. And so he says free. He gave, God gave us his spirit. He gave us his word. And then he gave us freedom from sin. And then he gave us a way out. When we are tempted... 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Everybody experiences it. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. God because he wants us to live obedient, transformed life, provides a way out. He provides a way of escape that's always there. We've, we've got to know that. When you're facing temptation, you've got to know there's always a way out. Look for it because God provides. He's faithful. God gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He gave us his word to equip us. He gave us freedom to say no to sin. And he gave us a way out so that we can escape the temptation. Yes, we can live transformed lives. And ultimately, he gives us victory. We get the win. Romans 8, 37, the Apostle Paul said, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We overwhelmingly conquer. Whatever we face in life, we can win. When I was in junior high, we moved to Colorado. And um, I became a, a fan of the Denver Broncos. And uh, um, if you follow the NFL, you know that this afternoon... Broncos are in the AFC Championship game against the New England Patriots. The dreaded, evil New England Patriots. No one is giving us a chance, hardly. You know? We're the underdogs. Nobody expecting us to win. Of course, they're all wrong. But they're, they're, nobody's expecting us to win. And I like that. It's, I sort of like that because, you know, um, if we lose, it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, it was, it was, that, was, that was what was supposed to happen. And, hey, we, we did better than 28 other teams this year. So we can take that. Had a pretty good year. But if we win, <laughs> that's, that's just sweet, right? Because nobody expected us to. We get, and that's just more bragging rights. We're the underdogs. Well, sometimes I think Christians get to feeling like the underdog spiritually. And I don't think that's the way God intended it at all. You feel like ever, you ever feel like you don't have a chance to win? You get, you know, sometimes you get feeling like you, you don't have a chance to live a life that honors God, a transformed life, a, a life of holiness. I, mean, I get feeling that way sometimes. It's not right. It's not true. We've got more than a chance. We've got a guaranteed win. As Christians, we overwhelmingly 
conquer. That's sweet. Our God transforms our lives. The the one we serve, he's the only one who can take us and make us new. He's the only one who can take us from death to life. He's the only one who can take us from nowhere to sitting in heavenly places with him. He's the only one who can take losers and make them winners and guarantee the win. So let's don't give up. And let's don't give in. Remember Peter, the verse I quote a lot, 2 Peter 1.3. Peter tells us there, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. You want to live a godly life, you've been given everything we need. We've given the spirit to empower us. We've been given the word to equip us. We've been set free from sin. We've been given an escape for every temptation and we've been guaranteed the victory. We have everything we need to live a life that honors God. I wanna challenge you, if you're a follower of Christ, that you're a believer and there's some area of your life where you, you aren't honoring God, some area of your life where you're doing the opposite of what God's word tells you to do. And maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you've tried to, to stop. And, you know, you've, you, you just, and you, you've, you've tried and then you quit and then you tried again. And, you know, it's just, it's just bad. I'm telling you, there is victory for you. God doesn't want you to struggle in defeat the rest of your life. He wants you to see victory. So turn to him. When we go to our Father, we find mercy and grace, right? So go to him. Confess your sin. And repent of it. That old word, repent. Turn and go the other direction. Go the way he wants you to go. It's sweet to know victory. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ and you don't know what it is to to walk with him through life, I'm telling you, there's nothing better. If you will come to him and confess that you're a sinner and you ask him based on his his son's sacrifice on the cross to forgive you and to come into your life, he will do that. And he'll transform your life and he will also transform your eternal destiny. You could do that right now. Just ask him. If you have any questions about that, please come and talk to one of the pastors. We would love to talk to you about that. Victory. Guaranteed for us. Can't get any better, right? All right. Let's serve him. Let's continue to be faithful. Let's turn from sin and follow in obedience. Let's make our lives imitation worthy. Okay. Let's stand. We'll pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your provision for us. We know, God, that we can live obediently and we can have victory in our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to live in a way that honors you, that encourages and challenges others to be more like your son. Give us strength, Father. Help us to rely on your spirit. Help us, to, Father, be equipped in your word. God, help us to take that way of escape. Father, we thank you for the victory that's ours in you. And Father, I pray for those that may be here who haven't taken that initial step of faith yet, that God, they'd take that step today. They'd know what it is to walk with you. We thank you, God, for, for working in our hearts and lives today. God, we do want to remember again what's going on at Kalahari this morning. God, touch and change lives. God, in every area of our lives and in the life of our church, may you be honored and glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. We'll see you next Sunday.